know in America we are consumed and very concerned about purity. I mean, we want uh, pure drinking water. Homes now spend a lot of money on filtration systems. Bottled water, fastest growing market in the U.S. Companies like uh, Aquafina, Evian fight for market share. Multi-billion dollar industry. You know, we want clean air to breathe. And those concerns have resulted in standards being raised in, on emissions and carbon. Uh, companies specialize in home climate now. And so we've seen this proliferation of high-efficiency uh, filters, HEPA filters that they put on vacuums. And it's all in an effort to improve air quality in, in our lives. We want clean food, pure food, free-range, organic you know, chemical-free, hormone-free. And friends, all of that stuff is fine and dandy. I mean, it's good. It's good. But as important as clean air and water and food, there's a purity that's often overlooked in our society. We've been looking at Jesus' eight Beatitudes, and uh, one of them is, Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Happiness is a condition of the heart. In other words, it's not what's going on outside of you, but it's what comes out of you that matters. You know, happiness is from the inside out. You know, what's it mean to have a pure heart? I mean, what's that mean to you? It means unmixed motives. It means that you are a person of integrity. In other words, uh, you don't say one thing and then act another way. Your motives are are true. They're pure. And God not only is concerned with what we do, but he's concerned about why we do it. In other words, uh, he's concerned with our motives in in life. You know, it's just a sense of not only what, but why we're doing it. Jesus says in Matthew uh, 6, he says, Be especially careful when you're trying to do good so that you don't make a performance of it. Might be good theater, but God who made you won't be applauding. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible to do good things but have the wrong motives? Absolutely. You know, is it possible to be outwardly religious but inwardly you're a mess? You bet. You know, Jesus is saying happiness, happiness comes from the inside. When you're the same inside as out, when you're a person of integrity, when you're a person with unmixed motives, that you have a pure heart. There's a consistency between our values and the decisions we make, who we say we are and who we really are, between our actions and our heart. You know, I I think we live in a society that when we hear the idea of pure heart, it's a bit foreign. You know, that people hear that concept, and what they hear is, well, you follow your heart in life. If it feels good, do it. You know, this is what works for me. That's your truth. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but this is my truth. You know, there was a Gallup poll taken not long ago, and they discovered the number one stress factor in society. It's not that we don't have enough time or enough money or that we have relational conflicts in our life. Number one source of stress 
incongruent values. We say one thing, we say we believe this, but we do something totally different. You know, and it shouldn't be surprising because, honestly, we're all over the map on where we get our guidance. I mean, we look for guidance in, in all kinds of places, places like Vogue, you know, GQ, Forbes, Oprah, Dr. Phil. We, we even turn to horoscopes to try and figure it out. And, and let's be honest, some of the places that we look are just silly. You know, they're, they're in a constant state of, of flux. They're always changing. What was right a year ago has changed. It's outdated. In fact, if we were honest, we turn to some things because of a heart appeal. It kind of sizes up with what we really want to do. We, we decide what we want, and then we go find a, a way to support it. True? And, and here's the rub, and this is just my observation in life. But as we are searching for happiness, as we're following our heart, things get complicated. And we're anything but happy. You know, there's something I ran across about 30 years ago that changed everything. It took the complication out of things. It made decisions easier. Would you like to know what it is? This, this will rock your world today. <laughs> Do you remember these? I went to Target to try and find this, and I said, I'm looking for a magic eight ball. The girl goes, could you describe it? And I started describing it, and she goes, oh, you mean the Hannah Montana ball? No, I was like, okay, she's taking over the world. But anyway, <laughs> this thing's amazing. You know, when I, when I was in eighth grade, that was the first time I encountered one of these. And I remember going to the store, and I could not wait to get home. You know, the whole way home, I'm thinking, okay, what's the first question that I'm going to ask? You know, this is going to change my life. And I got home. I opened the box, moment of truth, and it went something like this. See, I transferred into a new school, and there was a girl in my class that I kind of liked. You ready? Should I call Yvonne? Ask again later. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You know, patience was, was not my strong suit. Never has been. And I'm thinking, what's later mean? And so two seconds later, very doubtful. Maybe it misunderstood me. My sources say no. This can't be happening. And so it went something like this. <laughs> and I called her. Because <laughs> of, of the magic A-ball. This thing changed my life that year. All my decisions, magic eight ball. And I know you're thinking, Damon, that's just ridiculous. Really? Come on. But let's try it. You know, should I invest with Bernie Madoff? 
Outlook, not good. (laughs) Will Adam Lambert be the next American Idol? (laughs) This is worth millions. (laughs) Most likely. I need to know this. Will the Pittsburgh Pirates win the World Series? Better not tell you now. <laughs> it, it works. Seriously. You know, we, we laugh. I mean, people make important decisions every day. And maybe we don't have a magic eight ball. But the process is very similar. You know, should I ask them out? Without a doubt. Should I ask them to marry me? Signs point to yes. You know, should I take that job? Maybe. Should I buy that house? Or here's the ones I love. Should I leave my spouse? My reply is no. Very doubtful. You know, we live in a society. I mean, we may not use this thing, but it's almost as random as that. We run our lives with a thing called a magic heart instead, and it messes people up. And it's interesting because even when we know what's right, and and I've talked to people too many times, and when they want to do something, they go around, they ask their, their friends, their relatives, co-workers, they even go to strangers sometimes. And they'll go, do you think I should do such and such? And a friend will say, that doesn't sound like a good idea. And so they go find someone else. Do you think I should do such and such? doesn't sound like a good plan to me. And they just keep asking people after person, after person, after person, until someone goes... Sounds okay to me, and off we go, you know. And as we take this step and we follow our heart, inside, if we're honest, there's a tension. There's a tension because some, some reason we think, you know, this isn't squaring up. You know, is this, is this right? How's this going to turn out? It's a heart condition. It's a heart condition. You know, the Greek uh, catharsis uh, is the word. It means to clear of dirt, to clear of contamination. That's what it means to be a pure heart. And the reason why we struggle in life is because our heart's contaminated. You know, Jesus says that the answer in life is a pure heart. That a pure heart will clarify what's right. It will simplify things in life. It will dial down the stress of life. It is key to happiness in life. So let's just suppose that we are tired of stumbling in life, that we know that we've got a heart problem and that our view's a little bit skewed. I mean, how do we get a pure heart? How do we get a pure heart? And I want to give us some eights that I think can help us today. You know, when I was in uh, college up in Lincoln, we had a big event on our campus one year, and uh, they had a, a chess tournament. 
and hundreds of people came from all around to compete. And we had a guy in our dorm, uh, his name was Tongo, he was from Haiti, and uh, so he didn't have family in the States, and so a bunch of us guys, we went to support him at, at that. Now, we had never been to a chess tournament, trust me. We all painted our faces. Uh, <laughs> the couple of guys, they, they dressed up like He-Man and Skeletor. Uh, those are uh, characters from Master of the Universe, if you don't know. And uh, we looked more like we were going to all-star wrestling than a chess tournament. And trust me, when we walked in, everybody just kind of went, okay, you know. But Tongo, Tongo, the... Uh, his first opponent, seriously, it was moments into the, the game, and uh, he goes, checkmate. And every opponent that he faced, he destroyed him. Checkmate. You know, when, uh, basically, when he would move and start on the attack, it was checkmate, checkmate, checkmate. And when the dust settled that weekend, he was the reigning champ, hands down. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I don't think anybody even challenged the guy. He beat him so easily. And I asked him, I said, how would you win so easily? And he said, I could see their moves before they made them. Well, friends, here's what I want to tell you today. God says, checkmate, checkmate. You know, there's a, a key phrase, if you read Matthew, the sixth chapter, it occurs over and over, and it's, your father who sees everything. You know, God sees everything. He sees your every move. There are no secrets. God is never surprised when you make a move. He doesn't go, wow, didn't see that coming. And I'll be honest with you. When I think about that, it bothers me a little bit. Because I really don't like the fact that God knows everything. I'd like to keep some of my moves to myself. And I think there are a lot of people that think they're hiding their moves from God. You know, it's kind of like when the evil one gets in your ear and you hear that voice that says, oh, go ahead. Nobody will ever know. Well, friends, someone already knows. Somebody already knows. Paul writes, he says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered before the eyes of the one to whom we must give an account. Sometimes we think God really didn't hear that. Sometimes we think God didn't see that. Sometimes we think God didn't see our move, but God says, checkmate, checkmate. You know, it's like the uh, wealthy grandpa that uh, he he was going deaf, and so finally he went to the doctor and he he got a new hearing aid. And the doctor said, you ought to be able to hear everything great now. The grandpa's like, Good. Went home. A month later, he comes in for a checkup. And the doctor says, well, I bet your family is just thrilled with the new hearing aid. He said, I haven't told them yet. (laughs) I've been sitting around listening to their conversations, and it's cost me a bundle. I've changed my will three times. (laughs) You know, it's like... You know, Isaiah says this. Woe to those who try to hide their plans from God, who try to keep him in the dark, covering what they did. God can't see us, they say to themselves. He doesn't know what's going on. What's the last line? How stupid can they be? 
I love it. He's just so honest. How stupid can you be? You know. Friends, sometimes we get involved in stuff and God doesn't want us to have any part of it. You know, we, we've made our move. We know it's wrong. And it starts eating us alive. And friends, God wants us to put a stop to that behavior for our own good in life. God sees your move. Checkmate. And here's what I think. If God already knows our move, why do we keep playing games? The fact that God knows everything, that God already knows what what we're doing, what we've done, and this may sound odd to you, but I find that as much good news as sobering news in my life. And here's why. I do not have to wonder if God's going to find out and go check me. The game's over. There is a certain freedom in knowing that God already knows. You know, God wants us to to stop playing the cover-up game, to come clean, to uh, agree to change our ways, to make make adjustments in our life. And when God says checkmate, it's really liberating in a way. Because ultimately what God wants is for us to come to him and say, you know what, I blew it. I want to change. You know, forgive me. And God greets us there. You know, I already know about it. I still love you. Let's start again. And when I think about the fact that God sees it all, that he knows my every move, it motivates me. It motivates me to make the right choice in life. You know, in those moments when... that in my head, I'm thinking no one will know. It helps me keep things in check. The fact that if I can remember that God sees my every move, it goes a long way, a long way toward purifying the heart. There's something else that purifies the heart, and that is to investigate our motives in life. To investigate our motives. Doing an honest evaluation of why we do what we do in life. Proverbs 24:12 says God knows and judges your motives. He keeps watch over you. He knows, he rewards you according to what you do. In other words, it is not just based on what we do, but it's also based on why we do it. You know, motives matter. Motives matter. And by investigating what we're doing, it helps us understand, you know, the why's. Why am I doing this? When you peel back the facade, my motives get revealed little by little. You know, why am I really doing this? Because it's going to make me look good? Because I, I want someone's approval in life? Because I've been feeling guilty about something, and so I'm going to do this. You know, I, I want to make someone else look bad by doing it. I'm hoping to get ahead, get something in return for doing this. Motives, motives, they're important. This is a tough one. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes it's hard to get under the layers, to really get down to the nitty-gritty of why we do what we do. But when you do honest investigation in your life, it helps clear things up if you, if you can be honest with yourself. I mean, how do you purify your motives? I think Jesus was a good example and show, shows us how. You know, Jesus in John uh, 5, he says, 
I only try to please the one who sent me. Jesus decided that his primary motive was to please God. And that simplified things in his life. Audience of one. Audience of one. That kept his motives pure. Most of us, if we're honest, we play to audiences of hundreds of people. How many of you have figured out you can't please everybody all the time? I mean, even God can't please everybody. You know, one person is praying for rain today. Someone else was praying it wouldn't rain. You know, somebody's praying for the Cubs to win. Somebody's praying for the Cardinals to win. One of those needs more prayer than the other, by the way. But, um, I mean, for some reason, we think we can do what God can't do. You know, one of the myths that people operate in life with is I must be liked by everyone to be happy. That's not true. Jesus says, I only try to please the one that sent me. Audience of one. And when you begin to settle that in your life, I want to tell you it will pay in high dividends. It simplifies life. It lowers your stress level. It keeps your motives pure. It keeps you doing the right thing regardless of what other people think. And Jesus understood that. Jesus understood who he was. He also understood who he was trying to please in life. Paul writes in uh, 1 Thessalonians, he says, We're not trying to please men and women, but God who tests our heart. Make sure your motives are pure. Evaluate your motives. Live a life that pleases God. I mean, how do you know that you don't have a hidden agenda in whatever it is that that you're doing? Well, friends, I would suggest to you take it to God in prayer. Take it to God in prayer. Jesus made a habit of always operating his life kind of tethered to God. He allowed God to guide him, and he allowed God to keep him pure. You know, Luke twenty-two forty-two. he says, this is right before he's to go to the cross to die. He says, Father, if you're willing, take away this cup of suffering, but do what you want, not what I want. Your will, not my will. And when I read that, there are two things that really strike me in this. First of all, Jesus is struggling with what to do. And he's just honest with God. He's done the internal investigation and basically goes to God and says, Look, I really don't want to go to the cross at this moment. You know, I'm not sure I want to sacrifice for sin. And he's wrestling with it and he's honest with God. And the second thing is he's going to do what God wants him to do, ultimately. You know, basically he says, you know, if it's possible, could we skip the cross? But if this doesn't mesh with what you want me to do, then God, I want what you want. you follow that? He expresses his thoughts, his desires, his rationale his preferences, and at the same time, he asked God to keep his motives pure. You know, for instance, uh, maybe, maybe you're a sales rep, and uh, you're pursuing a new account. Well, go to God in prayer with that. And say, you know, Lord, help, help me land this new account. Now, you pick out whatever thing it is that you're struggling with, 
But then I want you to add so to the end of whatever it is. You know, Lord, help me land this new account so, because the so is huge. The so will get you tethered to what's really going on. You know, so I can live lavishly. So I can thumb my nose at my supervisor who said I couldn't do it. So I can be important. See, the so gets you at the impurities. Some of the things that are not pure. Jesus' motive was pure. He was honest. He came to God and says, this is what I'm thinking but I'm open to what you want. And real quick, I want to give you eight questions you could ask yourself. Maybe you've got something you're struggling with today. These are questions, they they, they help just to to process and get through and figure out the, the motives, you know. Why do I really want to do this? And just be honest, you know. Do I have an ulterior motive? You know, see, it helps you get underneath it. You know, what do I get out of this? And that kind of segues into, would I still do it if there was no personal gain? If someone else did this, would I think it's okay? What's the downside if I don't do this? Now, here's the two big ones. Who am I trying to please? And this last filter gets you there. What does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? If you're going to have a pure heart, you've got to remember that God sees everything. He sees your every move. Checkmate. You need to investigate your motives, get beneath the surface, ask the hard questions. Ultimately, we're seeking to please God, audience of one. There's one more eight, and that is recalibrate my priorities. Recalibrate your priorities. Exodus 23 says, you shall have no other God before me. It's the first commandment. God says, I want the top spot in your life. I'm not going to play second fiddle to anything or anyone else. I mean, what's a God? It's anything that's first in your life. Your God may be different than mine, but it's whatever has that top spot. You want to get at your priorities? Take a look at your activities in life. Where do you invest your time? Where do you invest your money? Because that's where your heart is. Scripture says, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a heart condition. You know, take take a look. Review your calendar. Get out your Palm Pilot. Not right now, but get it out and take a look through it. You know, consult your, your bank statements. It will expose your heart. It'll tell you where your heart sets. You know, ask God to help you each day to use your time wisely, to get up each morning, you know, and and to work on a to-do list for yourself. Recalibrate, recalibrate. I know how this goes. You're sitting one day and you go, I got 12 things to do. I've got time for four. Okay, God, what do you want me to do today? Which of these things? You know, Ephesians 5, 16 says, Make the most of your time. Grasp firmly to what you know to be the will of God. Friends, you do not have time for everything. Selection is the name of the game. I mean, how do you select? Again, ask God to help you with those decisions in your life. 
God has a plan for your life. And if you're feeling a little bit frazzled and frustrated and hassled today, there's one of two things happening. You're either trying to do the wrong things or you're trying to do more than God ever intended for you to do. Now hear this. They may be good things, but God never puts more on your plate than you can handle. And if you're going to get a handle on it, I would suggest you make a daily appointment with God. It doesn't matter when, and it doesn't matter how long. I mean, people think, oh, i got to do this for hours. Take five minutes with God. Take ten minutes with God. You know, read a couple scriptures. You know, get a devotional. Have a conversation with God, but regularly review your life, review your schedule, review your goals and your priorities in life. Another way you can get at what, what your priorities are is look at your ambitions. My goals will reveal the direction of my heart. Whatever your goals are in life, it will show you the direction you're at least attempting to go. And whatever that number one goal is, that ambition, it has a high impact on how you live. Matthew 6, 31, Jesus says, So don't worry about these things, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. He goes on and uh, says, Seek the kingdom of God and all else, and live righteously, and He will give you everything you need. He'll give you everything you need. Let, let me ask you, what dominates your thought? I'll be honest, sometimes I don't see much difference between people that say, hey, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, in the world. We're chasing the same stuff, operating with the same systems sometimes. And consequently, get this, we have the same tension, the same stress, and the same problems in our lives. Jesus says, seek God first. Set your heart on things of God and everything else will come together. Just says, happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What's it mean to have a pure heart? Well, it means I'm always conscious of God's presence in my life. This is a mark of maturity. The fact that God sees my every move really takes the heat off, because I don't have to play games anymore. And when that voice goes, hey, nobody will know, no longer really flies in my life. You make better decisions because of that. And the more you mature in that, the more your heart purifies, you find you're content with God's praises in life. You focus less on what people think and more on what God thinks. You know, one of the keys to, to happiness, if you boil it down, is you've got to answer this. Who do you want to please in life? People, good luck with that one. Or do you want to please God? God, I want to do what you want me to do. Talk about simplifying things. Talk about dialing down stress. And a pure heart means that all of a sudden I'm controlled by God's priorities. Set my heart on what God says is important. So, so what's the result 
if we were to do that, if we were to start being honest and, and transparent uh, to be a, a person of unmixed motives, what's the result? Happiness. Happy are the pure in heart. Why? Why is that? Because you're not faking it anymore. You're not trying to be phony anymore. You're not trying to pretend. In fact, that you take the flip side of that, unhappy are the divided hearts. Unhappy are people that are, are trying to please everybody in their life. Some of you, if you're honest today, you're unhappy because you're trying to please everyone. You're unhappy because you're divided. It's a no-win. You're afraid of being found out. Happier are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The result of an unmixed motive, living for God no matter what, you get to see God in your life. You get to see God in your circumstances, in your eternity. Clean heart, pure heart, huge huge so how can you have a pure heart pure heart so you can be happy well you can't do it yourself you need jesus christ that's that's what easter's all about it's jesus that's a heart specialist because he knows how to get us back on track you know david uh, in the old testament king david he kind of hit the bottom of the bottom. Things are spinning out in his life. He'd committed adultery. Then to make matters worse, he had, he had her husband killed. So David's a murderer. His days are dark. Guilt's eating him alive. He, he wants out. He's trying to figure out what to do. He, he pens this. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right, persevering, and steadfast spirit within me. To get a clean heart, just ask God for it. God wants to give you that clean heart. He wants to renew you. He wants to give you a new outlook in life. He wants to give you a new life, a new start. You know, some of you, if you're, you're a Christian, you've already taken the big step and said, Christ, I take you as my Savior. Now, you just need to go and say, clean my heart up, God. Some of you have never taken that step. You need to make Christ your Savior. It's a new beginning point. It's what Easter's about. Let me ask you, what's the condition of your heart? I mean, some of you have a broken heart. It's hurting today. You know, some of you have a hard heart. You know, the bitterness, resentment kind of rule. Some of you have hearts of stone. I mean, nothing's breaking through. You got the walls up. Some of you, it's a divided heart. You're, you're trying to do everything. You're tripping all over yourself. Some of you are trying to live one way on Sunday and another way through the week. Some of you are trying to please so many people, you're just coming undone. And here's what I want to say to you. Isn't it time you just stop pretending? Stop pretending that you're happy when you're, when you're not. You know, it's time to, to stop pretending with, with God. You know, pretending that, oh, he's first. He's the most important. The reality is he doesn't even show. Isn't it time some of you just say, 
you know what, God? I need a new heart. I need a new heart. Pure heart. You know, make this the Easter. You turn that all around. Say, you know what? I am tired of unhappiness in my life. I want happiness. Because happiness, condition of the heart. Let's read together. Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let's bow in a word of prayer together. Our holy God, God, we praise you. God, I know there are all kinds of conditions of hearts here today. Some of us are frustrated. Some of us are broken. Some of us have been beaten down. Some of us, God, have our walls all up. We're protecting our heart and the process is just drying up. God, whatever condition is, I pray that we'd turn to you, that we'd let you clean it up, creating us a clean heart, God. God, we thank you that because of Easter, because of your son walking out of that grave, that we can have a new start, a new day. Your mercies are new every morning. God, we praise you. We thank you for that. God, I know there are some here that they haven't given you the reins. Lord, I pray that you'd hear their prayers today, that just where they sit, that they would lift it up and say, I want you as my Savior. God, may this Easter 2009 be a year we look back and say, you know what, it all changed then. God, I know if we'd seek you with everything in us, that happiness that seems so evasive that uh, we'd find it. God, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for this day. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and sing together.